I used to work in the music industry. I was an actor for a while. Yeah, I chased bimbos like Paris Hilton. There you go. They don't have anything on me that I haven't already run my mouth about in public. There you go, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you already told me you were drinking in the basement of your high school, so it's all, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, no comparison, my friends. And tonight, really, no limits. I've got an oversized Red Bull here because I know it is going to be an absolutely wild ride over the next two hours. Our guest is the incomparable William Zabel, the man behind the Columbine Conspiracy. Well, he's not behind the Columbine Conspiracy. <laughs> he wasn't the man behind the Columbine Conspiracy, but he's the man behind getting the word out about the Columbine Conspiracy. And uh, his website is columbineconspiracy.net. He, uh, he lit the world on fire on BOA Audio a long, long time ago and then subsequently disappeared into the wilderness. But we, we tracked him down last year after many, many years of, of people asking for him to come back on the show. And he made his triumphant return on the 200th edition of BOA Audio. And as soon as I was putting together the live program, I knew that the perfect guest for BOA Audio Live and the no rules, no limits attitude and atmosphere of this program, the guy who was perfect for all that was William Zabel. So I reached out to him and got him right away for the show. William, welcome back to BOA Audio. Welcome to BOA Live. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, buddy. All right. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Now, it was a lot of burbling going on here. There was, uh, of course, after we talked, it's kind of weird. I mean, we did the show last June, and uh, I think it got posted, you know, early July, and then that, that shooting happened in Aurora, and everybody was like, oh, my God, this is this is crazy. you got to talk to William Zabel. So I'm sure you have thoughts on that. But I guess before we get into all that, what's going on on the Columbine front? Any news there with your research into the conspiracy? Yeah, there, you know, there's there's always going to be updates, um, you know, 40 years after the fact, 50 years after the fact, we still learn more about the JFK assassination. Columbine is no different. You know, we're 14 years out, and there is a lot more. Uh, some parents have spoken more now, uh, must feel freer about speaking now than they did before, um, some parents have admitted now that their children knew a little bit more than they were initially admitting about the shooting. Some parents themselves even admitted that they had heard the rumors from other parents, other students. This was something that you didn't really hear much of in the beginning. It was just rumors that parents and students knew. Now these people are saying, yeah, we knew something was coming. Uh, the, if you saw the Internet right after April 20th, there is no doubt 
that a lot of people knew. But, of course, being a criminal event, nobody wants to be the first to say, I knew, you know. Now, what you, what, everyone knows in all 50 states, if you know for sure a crime's going to happen and it happens and you don't call the cops, you're going to jail, too. I think these kids probably figure, and these parents as far down the road, the cops are not really going to throw a fit. And yet, we still have people disappearing. Now, what know, do you, 14 years after the fact. <laughs> What do you mean by if you saw the internet right after April 20th? You mean the actual day of it all going down? Yeah, that that night and into the next day, you could see where the people were talking. Oh, we knew this was coming, and then but they were doing it under fake names and they weren't giving the real name. And now those people have come out and admitted, well, yeah, we were talking about it then, but we didn't use our name. But yeah, we knew something was coming. Uh, you know, several parents have mentioned that to the media. They've uh, mentioned it, you know, when they've been called on to shows like Oprah and things like that. And it's really taken even the mainstream media by surprise because, as you know, the mainstream media is pretty much controlled by the government. So, you know, they're told you can only report this but not this. But now 14 years later, things that the media was told they couldn't say 14 years ago, now it's just, you know, it's open territory. But there's still a lot of secrets, and I know one of them is, and you mentioned it to me before we went on the air, that some people get very incensed when we do victim, when I do victim blaming and the Satanism and all that. Uh, but you have to remember that these are not five-year-old kids who just looked up one day and here's this masked gunman and shoots them all dead. These are high school kids that play with pipe bombs, they're having sex, they're doing drugs, they're skipping school. Columbine, that whole area of Jefferson County, has always had a problem with Satanism. Now, my feeling is this. Everyone, each to his own with religion. I mean, if some guy wants to say, hey, I believe in Satan, and that's the end of it, fine. You know, have yeah. your way, whatever. But the problem is this stuff is ingrained into our military, it's ingrained in our law enforcement, and it isn't playtime with the adults who do this stuff. And they get children involved, they get teenagers involved. We've seen the Presidio out in California, what happened there. We've seen what happened up in Nebraska, you know, the whole that whole thing up there with the boys' town and everything. The, no matter what anybody out there on the street thinks, there are people with money and power that take this stuff seriously, and they do it for real. They kill other human beings in a ritualistic manner, whether it's an adult, whether it's a child, and they think they're going to get some kind of power out of it. And Columbine is one of those shootings that was done with either the forced cooperation or willing cooperation of teenagers within that school. Right. Yeah. And that's very hard for some people to deal with. And I want people to understand I'm not playing a blame game just you know, like Christians or other groups do say, oh, that group's, you know, they're all a bunch of sinners, you know, look what they're doing. No, I look at what those kids said. I looked at their blogs. I looked at how they lived before the shooting, during the shooting, and afterwards. They were enticed into this, whether either willingly or forced. You have to understand that the majority of the parents in this community are either military intelligence or former military intelligence. And within our military structure, and I would assume this goes on in other countries, too, in their militaries, military intelligence is the control structure for the entire U.S., not just in the military. 
to give you an example, we've seen the Satanism like on Presidio, but it also found its way into the civilian sector. At the time that this was becoming big in the 60s, uh, you know, with all of this Satanism, you know, I mean, it really just almost destroyed the army in the 80s when this came out, yeah. what was going on in the Presidio. And they had to work hard to keep it covered up. But when you go back and look at the beginnings of it, I mean, it started probably before the 60s, but it, that's when it became public. That's when people were no longer scared of, quote, their alternative lifestyles, whether it was Satanism, you know, UFO cults, whatever. You know, and like I tell people, as long as all you're doing is research or, or you believe in a certain thing, that's great. But if you take that belief to the point to where you have to defraud or hurt or kill others, then you've gone too far. That's the simple fact of life. Okay. And all of this started with these satanic groups within military intelligence. Now, a lot of people don't understand how U.S. intelligence can affect and infect civilian society, and this goes directly to Columbine, Virginia Tech, all these shootings. All these shootings were done in places where military intelligence has a hovering effect. They either donate money to those areas, the civilian community, the businesses, the parents, whatever, or the parents themselves, as in the case of Columbine, are military and former military intelligence. In fact, to show you how bad it is at Columbine, there's one parent that always gives me grief. Every chance he gets, I still get emails from him. You still in on those conspiracy theories about Columbine? <laughs> it was Eric Harris, and he acted alone. Well, What? That guy doesn't even get the regular story right. Yeah, he can't even get the regular story right. <laughs> but l let me tell you why. This is a it's a thesis antithesis type thing. Yeah. The, the thesis starts out that we had one shooter, then more than one shoot, shooter. It went all the way up to you know like twelve or twenty shooters at one time, and then it went back down to Harrison Klebold. The two conveniently Harvey Oswalds. Well, the Columbine community is mostly evangelical Christians. Now, people say, well, what does that have to do with them including or excluding Klebold? It's real simple. The Klebolds are Jewish. The Harrises are not. Now, Harris, if it's spelled a certain way, can be Jewish, but spelled the way it is in Eric Harris's case, is a Gentile name. It's not a Jewish name. So that's why the evangelicals wanted to leave Klebold out of it. And once again, for people who have never cruised in evangelical circles like I have, they say, Bill, what does it matter? He, he was a psycho kid that went nuts and killed his fellow students. The fact is, is that evangelical Christians are the most paranoid people on this planet. They're more paranoid than Homeland Security. In fact, I'd be willing to bet they make up the majority of Homeland Security. They believe wholeheartedly that if you blame a Jew for anything, as a Christian, you're going to hell. Jesus. Wow. I'm not kidding you. I've talked to evangelicals uh, who are police officers that refuse to even file charges against somebody because they had a Jewish last name. And this is not to be anti-Semitic. I know lots of Jewish people that were mortified and wanted to strangle those kids themselves because of what they did at Columbine. And so it's not an anti-Semitic thing because you'll find out the first people that want to get out the, the switch and start beating kids are Jewish parents who look at Jewish kids doing stupid things and going, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? You know. Yeah, yeah. So it's not an anti-Semitic thing, but evangelicals are scared of that. It's a, 
I don't even know how to describe it other than uh, paranoia. Maybe it's a, a mythology thing that they've come up with over the years. But for those who wonder why the media, some people in the media and parents leave Dylan Klebold out, that's why. Because they'll even weird. mention that down the Columbine area. Yeah, that's They don't just want weird. you to even talk about the Klebolds because they're Jewish. Leave them out of it. We'll just forgive Dylan, but we won't forgive Eric. Wow. So that's the craziness you're dealing with there. So now getting back to the military intelligence point, both the Klebolds and the Harrises are military intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wayne Harris worked on the B-52 Superstratus uh, Fortress bomber. Uh, his job was electronic flight controls and navigation systems. Uh, he upgraded those over the years from the time he worked at Plattsburgh till he came to Denver with his family and worked at flight data systems. Klebold, on the other hand, is a much murkier person. Um, you know, Thomas Klebold flitted around the country. Uh, his credit history and his employment history jumped back and forth. Um, the only way you could really do that, according to my cousin who's in the Air Force OSI, is to be military intelligence because he says you can't have a family and just quit a job for a couple of years and then come back up you know, for air and get another job. Right. He says anytime you see that, you're probably dealing with military intelligence. Well, I showed a clip that I have from Columbine to uh, an ATF agent, and he had a heart attack just about on me. He says, where did you get this? And I said, well, believe it or not, I got this from Michael Corbett. He was a stringer for the BBC at the time, and he went down to Columbine, and he met with a, a videographer, you know, from the BBC, and from some people to AP, he did the written story, they videotaped, and they got these guys coming out of the back of the school, all dressed like FBI HRT team members, getting in a green minivan and driving off the property. Well, as the van goes by, the videographer with Michael Corbett scans the vehicle, and this ATF agent that I saw says, you know who that is sitting in the front seat? And I said, I sure as hell do, because I met him at the lawsuits in downtown Denver, and he says, are you telling me you know his name? I said, yeah, that's Thomas Klebold. I shook hands with him. I told him, uh, gave him my condolences uh, for his son's death and everything. And that's before I saw that video. That was Thomas Klebold sitting on the right-hand side of that uh, uh, minivan. And that minivan had been seen up to the day before on Monday the 19th, cruising through the community, according to one woman I talked to who said, quote, there was a green minivan cruising around here that I called the police on. It had five men dressed in black driving around all day long. Jeez. Yep. This is all – every time I talk to you, William, this gets stranger and stranger. <laughs> I don't even know. Well, you yeah. you mentioned the Virginia Tech thing. I think you teased us a little about that last time you were on, and we haven't get a chance to talk about it. I haven't really looked at it much, but I presume yeah. you have. This is kind mm-hmm. of your, your bailiwick here, these bizarre shootings. So. Yeah. You know, what, what's your take on the whole Virginia Tech thing? Cause the, well, you're going to love this. Okay. I, I hope you don't have heart trouble or or might be in danger of having a stroke. Are you ready for this? <laughs> we are live, but yes, I, yeah. I love okay. it. Okay, hopefully, go. I apologize <laughs> to your listeners if you keel over or any of them keel over. Yeah, if you're driving, pull over to the side of the road. My belief that Vir- that Virginia Tech was a cleanup operation for Columbine, and here's why. Two Columbine students, a girl and a boy who had been dating since sophomore year at Columbine, were at Virginia Tech that day of the shooting, and they would have been in that first classroom that Cho went into, but the girl lost her car keys, 
and her and her boyfriend were searching around her apartment for a half an hour, and by the time they found their car keys, that's when they heard the sirens, and that's when she got the text message because it was right around 9 o'clock not to go to school. Her and her boyfriend both would have been in that classroom. Wow. Now, it's even better. The girl had gone to lunch with some other girls at Taco Bell when the Columbine shooting happened, but her boyfriend saw who killed Dave Sanders. His name is Kenneth. And he saw who killed Dave Sanders, and we all know it wasn't Harris or Klebold. Okay, Dave Sanders was, uh, just for the, the folks trying to keep up at home, Dave Sanders yeah, was. The, uh, the girls' basketball coach, uh, who was also uh, a teacher, he taught and uh, was a coach. Okay, and he was suspicious. And he was killed in an upstairs hallway in the science hallway uh, trying to warn students to get out of the school. Now, most people believe, according to the official report, that Dylan Klebold killed him, but there is a girl who said her brother killed him, and that's Lydia Perry. It's in the documents, people. This is not conspiracy theory. She told the police, I think my brother did it, and the police goes, why? Well, Dave Sanders had thrown Robert Perry out of school a couple of weeks before the Columbine shooting because he was trying to sexually assault a girl in the gymnasium, and Dave Sanders caught him. And the last words before the police arrested him was he told Dave Sanders, I'm going to come back here and kill your ass. That's in the documents, too. Because Dave Sanders' daughter was interviewed. He go, They asked her, why would anybody want your father dead? And she goes, there's only one person I can think of. And she goes, I don't remember his name, but there was a boy who was attempting to sexually assault a girl, and my dad caught him, and he said that he would come back and kill my dad. All in the documents that they released. Oh, God. <laughs> so you yeah, think that they – so then this guy, Cho, he shot up the Virginia Tech in order to get rid of these two – kids that, that knew too Yeah, I think he was specifically after Kenneth because Kenneth named Robert Perry in his statement to police as the guy who killed Dave Sanders. And he was one of the few students that Jeff Coe couldn't intimidate into changing his statement. Hmm. Wow. So, but why would he, I guess, I guess all the other kids are collateral damage then on, on this cleanup plan? Well, they could be collateral damage, but once again, we are dealing with the children whose parents are once again in military intelligence. And once I began looking into the background of some of these parents, a lot of them uh, came out of the military and went into high finance. And as you know, uh, you know, people began after we invaded Iraq in 2003 and coming forward, began looking into all of these things. Enron was a big one, WorldCom. A lot of these parents are involved in those types of high finance things, and, and Bush looked like there for a while he was going to go down in flames over Enron. I mean, the entire Bush family had their hands into that mess. And I think that there was probably some parents. They don't say which high finance businesses they work for uh, during the lawsuits for Virginia Tech, but they did make it very clear that they work for some very high-profile companies. Hmm. And the fact that they finally settled out of court with these families tells me that they didn't want these families talking because one of the uh, requirements for the payout was that they keep quiet about the shooting itself. First of all, you know, let's look at the most obvious that they even said on CNN. The doors were padlocked from outside, not the inside. That changed later during the lawsuits that they were padlocked from the inside. 
but several kids said that they ran to the doors after they got out of the classrooms and they tried to open the doors and they couldn't, so they looked outside and they could see the chains through the handles on the outside. And that's public record. So how did Cho get into the school? And he chose a building, by the way, that had very few exits. Uh, you know, these are older buildings. They, you know, they really weren't made for the number of students that they really have in those buildings. Um, well, it's interesting. Just let me just jump in here. It's it's really yeah. weird and interesting just that you never – it's like – I guess because Columbine was like sort of the first big event, but yeah. you really never hear much about the Virginia Tech thing anymore. And I guess that was the worst shooting ever, you know, at a school oh, yeah. in it America. Eclipsed, oh, yeah. It but you never hear Columbine. about it. We're talking 32 people dead. And there was no way that, that Cho did that with a 9mm, just like there was no way Harrison Klubold fired all the rounds they did with a Tech 9. You know, at Tech 9, I, I've had people demonstrate it for me, uh, gun shop owners, and the thing freezes up after about 10 minutes, and you've got to unjam the barrel. And I, and I said, well, how did Klebold supposedly fire so many rounds? And every gun store, gun store owner I talked to says there's no way. He had to have a better weapon than this to do that kind of shooting. And I said, could he hit somebody from 50 feet away at the Tech 9? And they said, not likely, not with as bad a shot as those kids are, and even if he was a professional shot, the distance that they were talking about, they said you would have had to have had a much better weapon and much better training. And that is the the points I'd like to make about both Columbine and Virginia Tech. Okay. You have shooters who are irresponsible teenagers that couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if they were standing up against it. The police who responded to the shooting say that, and the kids who knew them say that. Two, they were using weapons that even gangbangers won't use. I mean, even gangbangers use better weapons than what these kids at these high school shootings are using. Yeah. You know, so these are the two first things that should throw everybody off. Three is the law enforcement response. At Columbine, it was almost an hour to an hour and a half before they even thought about putting a, a, a SWAT response together. And at Virginia Tech, even the police in, in court when they were questioned under oath said that they didn't get there for over two hours. Oh, God. Yeah, so you you have this huge time span difference that doesn't make any sense to anybody. Then you have my third biggest point. You have witnesses pointing to other suspects. No, did, we, did we have that Tech. with Virginia Tech? Yeah, because I've never heard of uh, any theories that there were others involved in that. So, what, well, at Virginia Tech, the only thing they talk about is they, you know, they give such wild descriptions uh, about Cho that it, it doesn't match him. First of all, almost everyone says he was like six foot, six foot one. This is an Asian kid. He probably wasn't more than five eight, five nine. I mean, you know, even in the heat of things, you're still going to look at a guy you know, even from across a room and say, yeah, he's kind of tall. You know, you're going to be able to guess it, even in the heat of the moment. Uh, different dress. Some people say he was wearing a red sweatshirt. Others say a white sweatshirt. Some say he had multiple weapons dangling off of uh, his shoulders. Others say he just had one with a backpack. Um, and, the, and the time that he had to do the shooting, nine minutes, Nine minutes to kill 32 people? Go talk to any Army Ranger or Delta Force member. They'll say, yeah, if we have the surprise on them and we have fully automatic weapons, but if you're dealing with a kid who has to reload nine minutes, 32 people, and none of those, and nobody is able to stop him, nobody's able to jump up, come on, there's more than a few jocks that can take down these punk shooters. 
but it never happens because it's so lightning fast and it's so swift that by the time it's over, nobody realizes what happens. And punks on the street don't work that well. People without military training can't operate that well. I've talked to lots of people. I even talked to cops that go to these shootings, and they're all of the same opinion. I got this little smart mouth punk here, you know, telling me he likes to kill people, but there's no way he killed that many people. We were here in no time, and, you know, what in the world was going on? Yeah. You know, even cops question this. It isn't just the guy in the street or somebody surfing the net. Even cops question whether these guys can do these shootings. Why do you think that, it, you know, that the story always kind of stays the same, that it's this disgruntled kid who does these things? Well, how come we haven't actually ever heard the, the other side of the story with all, with all these suspicions? Well, first of all, I think it's a mutual blackmail scheme. I, I, the way these shootings are planned and the way they're put together, what they do, and this is the thing that makes people mad at me, is they include the victims in their conspiracy ahead of time. They always they always tell the kids at school, yeah, we're going to do a shooting here next week, blah, blah, blah. You heard that for years before Columbine. That wasn't just six months like everyone thought. I mean, there were kids at Deer Creek Elementary who were at Columbine that day but went to Deer Creek that back when they were in elementary school and their first year of junior high, they were hearing somebody was going to do a shooting and blow up Columbine. That's how old this thing is. Weird. Yeah. So I think what happens is that they bring the victim into their conspiracy. They, it's not like they get with the victim and say, hey, you know, we're going to go do this, you know, and, you know, either stay here and, you know, at your own risk or leave. I think what they do is it's, it's like with the government themselves. You know how the government's always saying, well, we're going to go into this country, we're going to go into this country, we're going to go get that guy, and they never do until the last minute, and then there's this big blow-up. That's why I think the government's involved in these shootings. Plus, you, I, I'm not exactly convinced that cops didn't show up for two hours at any of these shootings. There are witnesses who put men in law enforcement uniforms on the scene well before the shooting started. At Columbine that morning and even the day before, you're going to love this, there, were, there, there was something going on the day before at Columbine. Yeah, we've talked about that before, yeah. yeah. I, that, I, my jaw still hasn't fully recovered from the... Well, I got a dimension to add to that that everyone's going to love. Okay. Now, I never really thought about this, but I knew after September 11, 2001, that the government was running drills with planes in New York of hijackings. And I thought, ah, that's how the government did it. They had planes up there that they were simulating hijackings, and then they made it go live by remote control. That's why the Air Force, that's why NORAD, that's why everybody was confused because they thought it was a drill. Yeah. They didn't know what was happening. Right. That's the and a lot of theory, yeah. your 911 researchers, including the architects for 911, have put this all together on September 11th. And you can take that and extrapolate that out to Columbine, then forward to Virginia Tech, and then, of course, to the Aurora Theater shooting, and then Sandy Hook. And here's what I think happened at Columbine. The day before, now that I look back, I'm thinking it was a drill and they had everyone at the school involved, and that's why there was hardly any information other than cops saying we responded at 10 a.m. on April 19th. Because I couldn't figure out how so many people could want to keep that quiet on the 19th. You couldn't do it. Well, you could if it's a drill, because I've got the manual. I got one of the manuals on these drills. These drills... You have to be cleared by Homeland Security to be involved in them, and any student that has a juvenile criminal record, they send them home for the day before they do these drills at the schools. 
Yeah, but they didn't have were they they didn't have Homeland Security back when they had Colum, when Columbine happened. Though. No, but so they 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 had they just had the FBI and everything. But okay. these manuals clearly state that only the people who are going to act like the suspects, the cops, and students who can be trusted to keep their mouth shut, and they make it very clear in this manual, <coughs> and it's the FBI, the CIA, and local law enforcement that contributes to these manuals, and they make it very clear that you are not to speak about these drills. It is a felony. It's kept oh quiet. You're not to say that you were involved or anything unless you're one of the crisis actors, and I just discovered this about a year ago. And I've been researching this, and I found out that these guys that created the crisis actors were my former acting coaches. Whoa. Yep. And I contacted the head of it, and he goes, oh, I haven't talked to you for a long time. And I said, you know, I saw your website. I said, would you like to explain crisis actors? And he said, not over the phone. Let's meet and have dinner. And he said, what I'm telling you is only what I can tell you. I can't tell you everything about the program because we are governed by Homeland Security. And I said, what is the basis for this organization? He says, we provide people. And I said, you mean actors? And he says, okay, actors. We provide actors for these drills that the police do in shopping malls and schools and elsewhere. And he says, they play victims and sometimes they play shooters. And I said, what else can you tell me? And he said, that's it. That must have been a short dinner. More than that. Right? So (laughs) I put it together pretty quick. And the reason I should have, and I kick myself for this all the time, back in the mid-'90s when I was in his acting class, him and his buddy told me that they came from California, and they used to work on the TV show Cops. And I said, oh, what, were you guys lighting techs or what? And they said, no, we played criminals. And I said, huh? And he said, yeah, we play criminals. And I said, hold it. Those shows are real. He says, no, they're not. I said, yes, they are. And he goes, no, they're not. He says, in 1988, the the first year the uh, TV show Cops was on, they got sued (coughs) by by suspects who basically everything they told the cops went out over the air. So So they came to the conclusion after lawsuits and paying out mega bucks, you know, in, in fines and everything else, that they couldn't do this live anymore. They had to do these shows fake. Now, I know there's a lot of people that watch all these different reality TV shows, like they've got some that deal with the paramedics and the firefighters. Those are all staged, people, all staged. They can't show live events. This might but be the wildest thing, conspiracy you've you've introduced huh? on. This may be the wildest conspiracy you've introduced on the show here. That that, that cops except, that it can, except that it can be easily proven. All right. If no, I'm not, I wasn't. I wasn't besmirching you. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. It's crazy, but you know, people can find out by going to the website. A lot of these TV shows and look down in the bottom of the disclaimer. I never read those disclaimers myself, but it says all events here are reenacted and portrayed based on real events, including police reports, eyewitness statements, and and law enforcement um, uh, statements. So, I mean, they basically tell you that, but it's a small disclaimer at the bottom of their website, and they don't even show it at the end of the TV show. You've got to go to their website to see it. So they've got all these people believing when they see all this stuff that this stuff is, is real, and it's like, 
no, it's not. It, you know, do you really think the cops are always present at every shooting? Because if you watch some of these TV shows anymore, they're getting so sloppy that the fire department's there when two cars collide, and, and the cops are there when, you know, a guy runs out of the liquor store with the money. You know, give me a break. Yeah. Cops are not that good, and neither are firefighters. Firefighters are not out cruising the streets. You right, know, right. They these are stuff, yeah. simulated events. Go to Crisis Actors' website, crisisactors.org, and they will give a brief explanation of this. They don't go into great detail because, like I said, they're not going to. I had to go back after I learned all of this from, about crisis actors and then my remembering him telling me about the TV show Cops Being Faked. I thought, oh, my God, that explains April 19th at Columbine. They did a drill on the 19th and then on the 20th and went live. No wonder all those kids were sitting around not doing anything, you know. Uh, you know, when the shooting started, you know, you had kids that were laughing. I got kids on the news who were laughing, and I'm like, now it makes sense. They thought it was a drill. Yeah. They thought it was a drill from the 19th. Now, people might say, well, doesn't that do in your theory of Satanism and mind control? No, because there are kids who knew it was real. And in the later in the afternoon, you have kids who are being told, your fellow students are dead. And I've got news footage of the cheerleaders doing a cheer while the cops are announcing how many dead there are. And when you go into the whole Columbine thing, and, and, and I get into it with the different books that have been written about the Columbine students, that there is very little difference in this country between Satanism and Christianity. The, the, that gap is so narrow now, you know, it's the demons and the Christians are holding hands pretty much. And people just freak out when I say this. I said this in a store, and I didn't know there was a pastor standing behind me. And he goes, you'll burn in hell for that. And I turned around, and I said, let me guess. You work in a church? I'm a pastor. I said, well, you're not real impressive, for one thing. Two, you're judging <laughs> me, which you're not supposed to do. And I said, three, I've got more on your crummy churches than you'll ever have on me. If you knew anything about me, you still wouldn't have as much as I have on you. And that shut him up pretty quick. He he didn't want to argue about that. And like I said, I can always make a good argument against American evangelicals and even the average Christian. I mean, when you have pastors, Tim, that are running down the street and they're going, you know, Homeland Security's coming, so we're going to do a drill here, and, you know, we need to know everything about you. And you have pastors telling their flock, you know, oh, I, I need to know this. Do you have guns in your house? Do you have MREs? Do you have a Berkey water filter? I need to know that. You know, when you have pastors that are betraying their people to Homeland Security, all I can say is don't wave that Bible in front of me. It doesn't mean anything when you do that. Yeah. If you're going to betray people like that, you know, when your job is to protect them, forget it. And, you know, once again, this is what happened at Columbine. The These churches came out of the woodwork, and instead of saying, you know, no more of this nonsense, we're going to take the video games out of the schools. We're going to get back to studying. The drugs and the alcohol are going to be gone. Instead of that, the churches jumped on the bandwagon of donate money to us. Well, how's donate money to you going to stop a school shooting? What, are you going to buy bulletproof vests for everyone? You know, I was real smart like at the open uh, space hearings up there in Jefferson County because the pastors are saying, well, we need more money, we need more money. Oh, they always say that no matter what. Yeah, yeah no matter what. And my first response is when they asked for responses, I stood up and I told, the, I told this one evangelical pastor, I said, 
Um, are you going to use that money to buy bulletproof vests for teachers and students, and are you going to bulletproof the glass? And he said, no. And I said, then sit down and shut up. You're worthless. <laughs> well, I tell him. I tell him off all Jeez. the time. They're You're idiots. making friends everywhere you go, William. What's going oh, on? Oh, yeah. Here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe the black helicopter guys are actually protecting me. It's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I'm starting to wonder, yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if they like me better than the so-called victims out there. But what I gave you tonight is more of a, a level higher than what I ever had before because right. all these years I've been filling in the pieces for the people that won't talk. The people that do talk give me, whoa, just tons of information, but then I always fall into that canyon where there's this big blank spot of information. Well, now that I know about these crisis actors and these drills, that fills in my blank spots. Well, now I have a question because obviously I've spoken to you in, in depth now. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're nearing probably like five or six hours worth of conversation just between you and I. And originally, you told me way back uh, four years ago that it was uh, a hostage event that began the night before and then, uh, pardon the gruesome pun, bled into the 20th. Right. Um, which then was the quote unquote official event. Are you telling me now that instead it was a drill on the 19th, the kids went home? came back to school the next day, and then it happened live. No, and the reason why is because there are still parents that swear to God their kids never came home that night. Okay. And I think what happened, and I saw a movie years ago, and it was a low-budget movie, but it had, you know, some of the cokehead actors. What, what are those guys? Um, the guy that played in The Hunt for Red October. I don't even know. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Sean Connery? <laughs> no, the other one, the I don't know. bald Some, ones. Someone in the one. chat room. It uh, was one of the younger bald ones, and he played a sheriff. Okay. And their job was to help Homeland Security. It was one of those Hulu movies that you can get off Hulu. It was a couple of years ago. And basically what it was is they were to go in and do this drill, and they had paramedics come in and patch everyone up. Well, there was a lady among them who was a witness to a mob hit. And this guy signed up to be a paramedic to do these drills. And once the drill started, he took her hostage, took the sheriff hostage, and, you know, was demanding a car so he could get out because he tried to get out and couldn't do it. And looking at this movie, my theory is is that this was probably a drill earlier on the 19th, but later on the 19th, somebody introduced a live suspect who took hostages. And this, like I said, there's still blank spaces, but I'm filling them in faster every day 14 years later. Yeah. It is the only thing that makes sense that you have people hearing gunshots and bombs going off the night of the 19th. And I've asked these people again years later, I said, are you still sure? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. A guy living south of there says, yeah, I'm very sure of it. And he says the kids that live next door to me, the two brothers, they didn't come home that night, and they went to Columbine High School. I said, were there any cops around there? And he says, all I could see is he says on the north side of the parking lot there was a police car, but it didn't have its lights on. And my thinking is during these drills, they always have police vehicles everywhere. So I'm thinking, how could they have pulled off a drill on the 19th and the end of the night with no vehicles around? Well, how can they kidnap the whole school in one night? Were they, I mean, 
Yeah, I'm having like trouble said, wrapping know, my brain I, around this still. Yeah, but I, guess I you, know, you know this. I know this is out there, but when you have these types of events, and there were things going on the night of the 19th too, uh, the people that I've talked to that used to come to my seminars, you know, they were talking about how Fox News went off the air on the 19th and it was replaced by Morse code. I've talked to over two dozen people now. Now I don't know how that relates to Columbine, but it, it is a very strange thing. Also, this ticking sound that people heard over their phones that lived in Jefferson County. I have a friend that lives in Jefferson County, and she goes, you know what's really weird, Bill, is the night before the Columbine shooting, she goes, I went to call my mom, and all I could get was a ticking sound on the phone. And I'm like, well, what does that have to do with Columbine? But, you know, if you've got one or two odd things happening, I call it coincidence, but when you start stacking all this stuff together, there's got to be more than just coincidence here. You have kids that didn't go home on April 19th. You have police officers who, in their own longhand, not typing, so you can't say they fat finger dates and times, right. but typing by hand because all statements have to be handwritten to be, to be admissible in a court of law, even a police officer's statement. Now, he can type it up later for electronic filing, but the actual statement of his actions that day have to be handwritten. And you'll notice they spend a lot of time writing statements after an event. Uh, they spend probably twice as long writing the statements than they do actually, you know, going to the call and, and dealing with it. So when you have handwritten statements by police officers that say they were in Columbine on April 19th, and now those cops won't talk for anything, you, you can't get them to talk. One did talk briefly, and he said, well, he said, I must not have been thinking. Then he said, well... You know, there was something going on on the 19th, but he says, I don't know what it was. He says it was a fight or a drug deal or something. And and the more I thought about it, the more I think, yeah, but you would remember that. Cops got good memories. They, you know, e even if they weren't at Columbine, you know, in fact, most of them were, they're still going to remember that going, man, I can't believe a shooting happened there. It was just there the day before. Cops are going to remember why they were there. They're not going to forget. Right, right. Well, for the next you time know. we talk, I, I, I want you to really see if you can – lock in some more info about this overnight operation. Okay. Because, uh, you know. It's, it's, it's one of those anorexic things, you know. What is that? It, <laughs> it's thin. It's thin, but it's yeah. still there. There's no, I know. Some, I know. There's something there. And like I said, to me, that's, is, like the, that's like the real meaty bone of this in a, in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, and it makes me bang my head against the wall because, you know, of all the real-life law enforcement military operations I've seen, uh, some of them, you know, where they didn't think anybody was watching, it still doesn't make any sense that this couldn't get out further than it did unless we bring the drill into it. If they were told not to talk because of the drill, that would be one thing. The other thing I think is it's simply like one girl told me. She goes, you know, after the Columbine shooting, we were all getting death threats by email and phone. And if we talked about it, we'd be dead. Jesus. And there were, well, here just, uh, let's see, six, about eight months ago, uh, uh, a guy who was at Columbine uh, who had gone through the uh, Army War College and joined the military, uh, they were going to interview him on CNN on the anniversary of Columbine, and uh, he said, yeah, I guess I can talk, it's no big deal, and all of a sudden... He gets killed in Iraq in an area where there's no unfriendlies. They can't explain it. He's found dead. 
Hmm. And that's another thing I asked my cousin. I said, if you're in a hot zone like Iraq, do you go around by yourself? And he goes, hell no. He says, you have always go out in pairs. He says, you don't go out by yourself. Right. He says, this guy was out by himself. And I said, that's what the Army said. And he says, no, 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 no. He says, this He says this is another one of those things where, you know, like that football player, I think they got rid of him because he knew too much. Yeah. You know, when he went the, to that's Afghanistan. The, that's the prevailing thing. Now, yeah. let's switch gears here. Uh, okay. As I said, we talked last June. Um, then the Aurora thing happened. Everybody got all fired up. Um, again, awful, awful, awful pun, not intended. Uh, and I did hear from you briefly after the event, um, but I wanted to wait a little bit. I wanted to give you about six months to a year to to dig up what you could find on this whole thing. So what's your? I mean, this is right in your neck of the woods. I mean, this is what the hell's mm-hmm. going on in Colorado, William? It's a scary place. But. It's it's my opinion that that entire thing was faked. That was entirely a drill. Now, what do you mean? Hold on now. Slow down. The- <laughs> that was all crisis actors. Do you think you think that the, nobody died in the thing, that the, that it was all a, a, a show? Yep. And why do you say this? Just because you've recently learned about the well, crisis actors be- part? Not just because of that, but because two kids that were at the, at the Aurora Theater shooting were also at the Gabby Gifford shooting. And these two girls... Go by, have the last name of Green. Go go look it up in relation to Hollywood and Nickelodeon. The Green family is one of the wealthiest show business families in the world, but you've probably never heard their names because they mostly work behind the scenes in production, but their kids work at MTV, Nickelodeon, Disney, things like that. These two girls, I have found CNN news footage of them at the Aurora shooting at the Gifford shooting, and at Sandy Hook. I've also found uh, the green, uh, I think it's the youngest green adult, uh, I think it's his, his, those two girls are his nieces, but him and his wife were at the Gifford shooting, they were at the Aurora shooting, and they were at Sandy Hook. Weird. And they all, and at all shootings, they claim to have been either in the site where the shooting happened, or they knew somebody who was there. The other thing about the Aurora shooting that really trips people off is the girl who plays James Holmes' attorney, and I mean plays, she is also a green, and she was also at Sandy Hook pretending to be a witness who drove by the school. Now, this you can find it, her on the Sandy Hook blogs, on the Aurora shooting blogs where they talk about this. I am not the only one saying that Aurora and Sandy Hook were fake. I know. I've heard this before. I have a real hard time with it, though. I'll be honest with you. I find that completely unbelievable, and I like you, so I'm not, you know, this is no. I and 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 I, and I want that kind of rebuttal because, because I just don't you know, think. I mean, I just don't think that you could fake the victims. You know what I mean? Like let me yeah, put it this way. Let's say like you know, let's say like my neighbor's kid gets shot at a school or something, and it's like, I would know, I would know sure. that it wasn't fake. So how would I mean? How would, you know, I don't think they could pull off that that level of fakery. But well, I'm, I'm willing. Could, of all people, I'm willing to listen to you, William, because oh, okay. I enjoy your stuff so much. So you, you know. So to show you an example of how this could be done. Let's take a leap back in time to the production of the atomic bomb at Los Alamos. 
there mm-hmm. were over 10,000 men and women at Los Alamos, some with very high security clearances, some with low security clearances, but all of them lived in the surrounding community. Some even lived, you know, clear up in Albuquerque. They kept that secret for almost 10 years, not a whiff. Why? Because they believed that they were doing the right thing. It's not about threatening somebody. It's about making somebody believe that by keeping this secret, you're doing the right thing. At these shootings, it's my belief that when they brought these people in to do these drills, they told them, this will make America safer if you help us do these drills Show us where the weak spots and security are in public places. You will be helping us. But you have to keep your mouth shut because there's always nut jobs walking around in public. And if they hear you talking about these being drills, we're going to be in trouble and they're going to get through our security. I believe that's what they're telling these kids and these adults. All right, but I still, you know, I'm really I'm really skeptical on this one, Bill. I know. I know. I, I know. And, and I know you <laughs> That's fine. I expected the skepticism. Um, you know, uh, this going forward to the to the Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. A lot of us started looking into this. They were actually doing a drill at another school about five miles down the road that day. That's the school that they were showing where all the cops were running inside. That was not Sandy Hook. That was a different school. Also, many researchers have found, and I've got it on my DVD collection, have found that the Sandy Hook School was actually closed at the time of the shooting because they were going to demolish it. It was too old, and it was full of asbestos. So how can you do a shooting? How can some punk kid do a shooting at a school that's closed for demolition? Now, how do you keep that quiet? Well, know a little bit about the Sandy Hook Newtown area. For those who have never been through Newtown, and I have because we were going to do a film there once, you might as well just be dropping in on Satan. That, that is nothing but CIA around there and NSA. That's, that's like the Columbine area. That's all intel. All of it is. So these people, so none of these people died in these events. They were just, they were just. No, in fact, that Emily Parker doesn't even exist. She never did. I don't know which is that one of the students. That was the little, Hook? that was the old girl with the blonde hair that was sitting on her dad's knee. They showed the picture of her. She didn't exist. Now there's a girl like her, but she's a Nickelodeon actress, and they found her. And you know how they found her? Because she was sitting on Barack Obama's lap three days after the shooting. Exact same girl. You also see her if you look at some of the Nickelodeon shows, and you can go to, um, uh, let me see, fellowshipblogspot.com and click on Sandy Hook, and they have links to the TV shows that that little girl was in. She's an actor. She's a crisis actor. And Robbie Parker, the only Robbie Parker I could find, even going through their police records and everything, what they were, what they did release, is 63 years old. He's not the 25 or 30-year-old they show on TV. And here's the big one. The guy they show on TV, TV that claims to be Robbie Parker, he's a crisis actor, but he's also a Hollywood actor. He was on the TV show House. Go look. They're the same. Take the news footage of him talking about his daughter and go look up Season 3, Episode 4 of House. The guy and the girl that whose baby the, the wife was nuts and she drowned the kid, Look at the faces, listen to the voices. All right. Absolutely the same. They're not just using crisis actors they pull off the street. 
they're using Hollywood actors too. All right. Well, I'm gonna, you know, I know, I know. I'll look into it, but I'm, I, I feel like you're, I, I feel like, I, I feel like you're, you're sort of like looking down the wrong avenue here, um, you know. And I'm not. That, I, I think that this, I just don't, I just don't buy the crisis actors. Part oh, they're of it all. real, and they. No, I know, them. I know that, I know that, I know that they're. I just don't think that it was used in this instance, but, you okay. know. Well, let's let's tackle something along these lines. So what what do you so you think that this 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 wacko guy, uh James Holmes, you think he's just an actor? Well, James Holmes uh, James Holmes, uh, if if anything, he's just a mind control patsy. Look at him. Do, you know, does he I mean, I don't even think he was capable of doing a shooting. Look how whacked out he is. He seems rather strange, yes. Yeah. And he went to see you of Denver and he was in the neurosciences. Well, you know what he was working on? Nanotechnology. And connecting nano robots to the human nervous system. That was his thesis. I mean, he was smart, but he was not on, he was not, he didn't have both oars in the water. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's like really smart, but really like uh, mm-hmm. lacking in a lot of other areas, like social and, skills. Right, and, and that's the kind of people that our government picks to do these operations. Now, people might say, well, if the government's going to do this, why would they simulate killing people? Why not actually really kill people? Well, the reason why is because they've been getting caught in the past. Columbine, Virginia Tech, um, 911, all these other events they've been getting caught at. So if they start simulating events instead of having real events, then if it ever comes out again and there ever becomes a congressional inquiry, all they've got to do is say, Your Honor, it was a drill. We just couldn't release it to the public. It was classified, you know. Then a judge might spank them a little bit, but nobody's going to go to jail. I think people would still go to jail for that, just because it was like so. It was such a wide. If if it was a fake thing, then it would become such a widespread lie. I guess yeah. you know what I mean. It's like I don't know. I know it's 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 a hard sell for people to believe. But these elements have been thrown into these events, these crisis actors. You can see them from one event to another. They're, they're always there, um, you know, at uh, Sandy Hook. They're um, there at the uh, Aurora shooting, you know. And then you have this weird stuff with the Boston bombing. Uh, that... You know, you got these two kids who they set up, and I, I, I believe that these two were nothing but Lee Harvey Oswalds. Uh, but, you know, they were talking about that they had information that something was going to happen, and they're, right there, in my opinion, the Boston police should have been gone through by internal affairs, and some people start, should have started getting some handcuffs put on because they admitted that they were getting threat assessments and they knew something was coming. And I'm like, how big of a deal is it to put a stupid you know, marathon off for a day or two till you find these guys. They're going to show up, you're going to be there, and they're going to have their stupid bombs with them, and they're done. You know, just put the stupid thing off. Forget about politics or money. It's not going to cost you any more to come back tomorrow than it is today. You know, but the the government wants these things. The government institutes these things. They create these problems. You know, problem reaction, problem reaction solution, the Hegelian dialectic. Absolutely. Well, I agree with you that, you know, the government, they seize the opportunity when these things happen, whether or not, you know, they're orchestrated. Um, 
You know, that's that's up for debate. That's up for with the discussion, which is what we're having tonight. But regardless of that, I think once they, these things happen, the government jumps on them. Yeah, but I think if the government end. gets caught faking one thing, then we need to be cautious about everything else that happens down the line. You know, we have to look at the next event and say, was this a drill that went live? Was it just a drill? You know, who's involved? I mean, there is no way that I can take the government's word for anything. You know, my cousin says even a lot of stuff he tells me, he gets straight from his boss and he doesn't know anymore. He says, you know, even his boss has led him around by the nose. And he says, so a lot of times I don't even know what's going on even though I'm supposed to. Now, I th- and, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So that's the kind of, you know, people you have in government. You know, they're always changing their tactics. A lot of times they'll they'll play these same scenarios out over and over again and expect us to believe that there's a new boogeyman. I mean, for instance, if you want to see how dumbed down the American public is, our government admits that they are funding these Syrian rebels, which they also admit al-Qaeda is mixed up in. And I have to ask the question, wait a minute, why are you funding people who are associating with people that supposedly did the World Trade Center deal. Right, right. And that's out in the open. That's a that's a that's that's, a fact. that's out in the open. That's that's something where our government admits that they're, you know, funding these terrorists to overthrow Assad. And even furthermore, if you look at the whole Syrian thing, there's so much hypocrisy there. How can any American, especially if they were either in Vietnam or watching T V at that time, not go, wait a minute, US government didn't you use chemical weapons, too? Yeah. Weren't there, like, tens of thousands of North Vietnamese, including women and children, killed by Agent Orange and Napalm? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean... From my uncle telling me about that, he was in the Marines, and whenever they were going to fly over and spread Agent Orange, they had to notify him, and he had to get everyone out of the area, all the Marines in his unit... They had to get out of the area before they dropped Agent Orange. He said there were, there were people in the U.S. military killed because they never got notification that the B-52s were dropping Agent Orange or Napalm. And he says that nasty stuff, both of those. And I said, well, what is your take on Syria? And he says, well, look at the hypocrisy. He says, we did it in Vietnam. He says, I don't doubt that we've done it since Vietnam. Uh, he says, chemtrails, everything else. So when you look at that whole hypocrisy thing of the government, why is it so hard to believe that anything they say about Columbine, Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, Aurora, is going to be 180 degrees out from what really happened? Right, right. Well, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that. I mean, this, yeah. this audience so, you know, you know, is for people sp- that can't understand it. Now, throwing these crisis actors into this, when they do you think either, the crisis actors thing started? Because clearly you know, it, it doesn't seem like it was in effect at Columbine or Virginia no, Tech. It, was this like you a know, new and thing? I've, I went back and looked at Columbine to see if I could see any of the crisis actors that I've seen on TV since, and I never saw any of that at Columbine. Okay. So, I, you know, we have to conclude that, you know, that that is real. And, I mean, I've been in the homes of these parents. I know their children are dead. They, they couldn't fake that in front of people, you know. Right. But um, I don't know if they created this crisis actors thing to throw disbelief into it to make people like me think, well, maybe the shooting never happened. Um, You know, I I don't know, but I know these people are real. They're on the web. They talk about being used in drills. And they just happen to admit that 
Well, yeah, we were at the Boston Marathon. Really? To do what? A drill? Well, yeah. And I'm like, isn't it kind of coincidental that you show up and there's a real bombing there? Same thing at Sandy Hook. Two of these uh, adults have admitted that they were there, but that they knew nothing, quote, about the real shooting. I, I just I don't like the fact that these people are there. Why are they there? Are they Do these things start out as a drill and then go live? I mean, is, is that why there's so little response by uh, victims and witnesses around them, because they think it's a drill? You know? I, yeah. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. I guess to just to circle back to my skepticism on the crisis actors part, it's just that it seems to me like that you couldn't fake all these deaths in the sense that someone would speak up, and, and not researchers-wise, but like I said, if something happened to like my neighbor's kid, or, or if they said something happened to my neighbor's kid, but I knew it didn't happen, or I knew my neighbor didn't have a kid, yeah. I, I, you know, I'd be saying something. Yeah. And like I said, it's just something that, that bothers me, and I had to – basically what I've done is I've gone off the stuff I was able to get. Now, unlike Columbine, at Sandy Hook, I couldn't get anything. All I could get was names, dates, and places. Right, right. I mean, those cops, oh, man, those are some nasty cops back there. Woo. Yeah. They're PR guys. They won't give you the time of day. Yeah, it's a very – Unless you're a governor or another police officer. It's very mysterious, that whole – Yeah, they're – well, you know, people need to go look up the history of that area, you know, kind of like with the Presidio and, and, you know, the – you know, the different areas in California where there's Satanism, you know, we have that back there, too, that whole Connecticut and all the way down through Massachusetts and all that. You know, Jerry Sandusky, all this stuff goes back decades. Um, in fact, to show you an example, when I was in elementary school, I did a report on Satanism in colonial America. And people don't realize the so-called people that called themselves Puritans, there were a lot of them involved in, that, in witchcraft and things like that. And like I said, if you know, it's fine by me if you want to sit around a Ouija board or you want to call yourself a witch and sit around and eat herbs and tell people about the good old days, that's fine. But for the people that take this stuff seriously and have the money and power to do really horrible things with these beliefs, you know, that's a whole different game. And you can see that in in America throughout its history. And I mean, you have the thing with Nebraska with Boys Town, John DeCamp went into that, you know, in his book, and I talked to him at some length. Uh, there was also some of that at the time going on here in Colorado at the time the Nebraska thing was. And I think that shootings, cops, military intelligence, and even some of these families all are connected by this Christianity, quasi-Satanism type thing. Okay. I, I seem to keep finding the same people with the same beliefs over and over again at these shootings. Uh, they seem to have this, well, I'm a Christian, but I believe in Satan, and I smoke weed and snort coke, and <laughs> you play with Ouija boards. And I'm like, um, you know, I think there's supposed to be a, like a divide there. You're supposed to be on one side, and the freaks are supposed to be on the other side. But there is that incestuous marriage between Christianity and Satanism, which also draws in military intelligence, which at the highest levels of military intelligence, and I've read books on this, uh, where they practice Satanism. And when you have these communities that, like one guy in military intelligence told me, 
like Columbine that are what are called safe communities. That is, most of the people in those communities are made up of military intelligence families. So it's kind of a secret little cabal. Everyone knows what goes on, but everybody outside knows nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just one of those unwritten rules, just like in law enforcement. Cops don't even talk to their own wives and children usually about what goes on during a normal day. Yeah. You know, it's that isolation that you're trained with. Exactly, yeah. You know, it's ingrained in your brain not to talk. And I think to a great extent that's how they can get away with these shootings without being fully exposed because the families know this is daddy's mess or this is mommy's mess. They're in the military or law enforcement. I don't care what you saw, Susie. Keep your mouth shut, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that kind of thing goes on. And then I think there's the where the kids are also involved. And a Columbine, the trench coat mafia. I mean, that that gang was huge in 1999. It wasn't just a Columbine; they were all over the Denver metro area. They had they had members in every school, and they were very well respected. These weren't some outcast kids that the teachers said go sit in the back of the room, keep your mouth shut. At all these schools, they were very well thought of, even though they were saintness were thought of by the teachers, even though the teachers knew they did drugs and things like that. And I'm like, what does that tell you about the school system? If those kind of kids are revered, you know, when you when you idolize people like that and you're a teacher, I mean, what, the straight-A kid don't matter anymore, just the guy who sacrifices animals to Satan? You know, <laughs> I, it, it just goes to show you how far down people have gone. I know. It's, we're a long way from drinking in the basement, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Long <laughs> way from that. Well, you're you're on fire tonight, my friend. Uh, let's open up the phone lines. If anyone wants to call in with a question or a comment, uh, 646-378-1868. That's the number to call in, 646-378-1868. Call in if you uh, have something to say, folks, and uh, we'll put you on here with William. I, I guess here's here's my... Here's my concern. This is what I was kind of, you know, I don't want to see you go down the wrong path with these crisis actors. I think there's got to be something more to all of this than just that there's okay, staged yeah. events. But, you know, I, I I leave it up to you. You're you're the yeah. you're the researcher. Well, I have to really find out what they're doing there because the government has never officially said that they were conducting a drill at Sandy Hook or the Boston Marathons. Now, at the Boston Marathon, they one cop did slip up and say it, then he was forced to retract it. And then, like at the Aurora uh, shooting, the the odd thing about that is that the kids, and I've got the news footage of this, the kids that walked out the front that had blood all over their shirts and everything, they were laughing. And there were some people watching TV with me going, what the hell is wrong with those idiots? Why are they laughing? And at that time, I really wasn't, I had already researched the crisis actors, but I wasn't thinking about them being at Aurora. And, you know, people wouldn't laugh if they were right there, especially if you had blood all over you. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I began to rethink that shooting and Sandy Hook. When I first saw Sandy Hook, yeah, I thought it was real like everyone else, but their stories kept changing. It it wasn't just that the media changed the story, the cops changed the story. And, I mean, it wasn't from three shooters to one shooter, you know, he had a red shirt on, he had a white shirt on. I mean, they changed the entire circumstances over the course of 72 hours at Sandy Hook. Yeah. And I thought, how can you change a story that much, 
you you had cops on the scene. Well, for instance, look let's look at who they caught at the scene. They caught a man at the scene who was an off-duty police officer from another jurisdiction. He was up in the trees. And when I asked about that, the only comment that I got was, well, he was called to the scene to assist. But that's not what he said when he was interviewed. He said he was just up there, quote, hunting. Yeah, I heard about now, that. Why that's all hunt? just weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hunt within 100 yards of a school? Any cop in his right mind would know better than that. You miss a deer or, and you hit a tree and a bullet ricochets, it's going through a window. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just didn't like that. Now, I did get something from the Danbury police. The Danbury police got a call for assistance from the Newtown police that said that they were chasing, quote, a purple minivan with a busted-out back window with two men dressed like nuns in it. Weird. And they sent me their APB that they got from Newtown. I did get that. and I got, In fact, I got more out of Danbury than I got out of Newtown. And that was quite interesting. And that was early on. And there, if you look at the scene, there are tracks that look like a vehicle was thrown into drive real quick and took off. There's also glass on the ground. So a vehicle did take off pretty quick. Now, no one, no law enforcement officer there claims to have shot at a vehicle and broken out the window, but Dan Barry did get this APB on this minivan. And according to Dan Barry, later on the state police managed to pull his van over. They interviewed the two men in the van and then let them go. Weird. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is why, yeah. I, you know, I think the, the whole idea of it being altogether staged just doesn't add up when you're getting these other weird sort of side things going on. Yeah. Well, did you ever hear about Creepy Gene, as they called him? <laughs> no, but I would like to. Gene Rosen was a retired psychologist, or so he claims. Uh, he lived right up the street from Sandy Hook. I'd, I'd say because the blocks are different there than in a standard city, I would say he actually lived more than a mile instead of the five city blocks he said, because that's a whole different arrangement in that town. He claims that kids ran up the road and ran up to his house, and they were standing in the front yard, and he went out, invited them into the house, and gave them juice and everything. And uh, he was on TV, and he did not ever act right. If you look at his house, it's all full of stuffed animals. It's really creepy, and he has no children or grandchildren. And he's got all these stuffed animals. He's got a room that's just dedicated to stuffed animals. And I could tell, by the way, when the CNN people were interviewing him, they're like, okay, uh, watch the door, keep the door in sight, you know. <laughs> they were a little bit worried about him. But he got the name Creepy Gene because afterwards he went to the school district meeting and he was crying at the podium. You can get that on the Internet. A lot of websites have his interview they did. And he's crying and says, you've got to give me access to those children. I've got to have those children. I've got to have them. I've got to have them. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah, that's weird. Ooh. Yeah. That was that's where he, that's why he got the name Creepy Gene. Now, Gene has probably a few skeletons in his closet and of course now that he's mysteriously died, by the way. Oh, weird. Um right after he started really getting antsy uh about where he was and what what he was doing when he found the kids, uh he started backtracking and saying, "Well, I may have actually been down at the fire station, but I still think they came up to my house." And it was about a week after that, suddenly he dies of a heart attack. Oh, strange. Yeah. But anyways, Creepy Gene's car may have been at Sandy Hook. 
they showed a picture of the car that supposedly Adam Lanza was driving. By the way, I don't even believe Adam Lanza exists, and there's even cops that think that. So that's not as way out as a lot of people think, because doing a LexisNexis search uh, for Nancy and her husband, uh, Peter Lanza, they only, you only come up with one kid, Ryan Lanza. That's it. And anybody who, like me, has a Nexus Lexus account, you can get into birth records online because all the county uh, courts put all that stuff online. So you can you don't even have to have a Social Security number, just a first and last name and birthplace. And you can get what hospital they were born in and what county they reside in currently, as well as the uh, other counties or states they lived in. Adam Lanza does not exist. He never existed. Any cop will tell you what I'm telling you right now because there were cops even back there doing search on him and couldn't find him. The only person you find is Ryan Lanza. And you'll know because at the shooting scene, what did SWAT find? They found Ryan Lanza's ID. Right, I remember that was the big Why thing. Why would Adam yeah. Lanza have his brother's ID? They hadn't talked to each other in two years. How would he get it? Adam hadn't even been up to his place up there where he lived, and Ryan hadn't been down to his mom's house. So how'd he get his brother's ID? Well, this see, I just if Adam Lanza never existed, why isn't anyone? Why hasn't? Why are you the only one saying this? Aside from probably you know maybe other Sandy Hook researchers. Well, I mean, where, where's again, the cops that believe this? Wouldn't they? Well, it, it's it's if you go look, there are people in the Newtown area asking this question. Okay. Now. I believe that what may have been going on is that they may have created, that it could be that the mother created this persona or somebody else did. It could be that Ryan Lanza was acting as Adam Lanza because really nobody really remembers Adam Lanza. I mean, they had, they had one guy on TV lived right down the road. He was like three houses down. He says, well, I remember Ryan years and years ago, but... He says, no, I don't remember her ever talking about Adam. He says, I'm sorry, but I don't remember that. And there were people who asked that question. I mean, even the mainstream media was asking, well, where is Adam Lanza? Well, you know, because he really disappeared off the face of the earth. There were some people who were interviewed that remembered him as a real, real little kid, but then he disappeared. What if they created this secondary person uh, and Ryan played Adam to do the shooting and then returned to being Ryan. I know it's out there, but, you know, if you go look at... at well, I'm under the surgery, impression that Ryan was in, the, was in New York at the time when all, when all this went down. Well, the only, the only people that can verify that are his three roommates. Okay. Because it only takes 45 minutes to get back there from uh, Newtown. Yeah. Um, and it took the police over an hour and a half to get there. He could have easily been back there. So there's holes in all these stories at Newtown as well, and this is where we start. Now, people say, well, how do you go from saying Adam Lanza is actually Ryan Lanza to no shooting happened at all? The big no-no there was very simple. It all starts with Emily Parker, who does not exist. There is no Robbie Parker of age 32 in the Newtown area. I checked every database they had. And these are databases that cops use when they go to check somebody out. These are the exact same databases. And if you can't find that person in that database, they just never lived there. Yeah. Um, so if you, if the guy doesn't live there, then who is this guy? And now, now you did watch the news footage. Um, 
they were talking about telling Robbie to work it up before he got on camera. Did you hear that one? No, I didn't see that, no. Oh, I'll send you that. I got the flash file. That really ticked people off. And he was laughing before he got to the camera when he was talking about his dead daughter. He's actually laughing about it. I mean, he was clearly laughing. It wasn't this, oh, my God, I just lost my child, so you have this excited outburst that's inappropriate. He definitely was being staged uh, and told what to say. And all these guys that got up there had uh, paper in their hands beforehand. So they obviously were being instructed what to say. That much is obvious because it's, it's, it's too... Easy and well-rehearsed. You can't take a guy who just lost his daughter five hours, six hours before, get him on TV that night, and he's fine, and he laughs and carries on. There's something wrong there. Okay. Well, someone in the chat here, uh, my old friend Chris Pinio, he's posted uh, a link that it says uh, it was uh, a few days ago. Adam Lanza's school records must be released, uh, says Judge. So apparently uh, they've been kept them sealed until now. Right. So. Yeah, they've never released them. The media won the school records because they wanted to see if there was any evidence of, you know, the drug use, you know, like they claim Harrison Klebold were on Luvox and such like. That's what the media was looking for, and the cops said, no way, you're not getting the records. Right, right. I mean, isn't that kind of more believable in a sense, that, that, that these psychotropic drugs are just creating these crazed, uh, you know, killing kids? Yeah, but even but even so, you still have a government involvement because where did the drugs come from? Hmm. They came out of the military research. They were give, they were given these drugs to soldiers in Vietnam to enhance their uh, aggressiveness. So they they've known for over forty years what these drugs will do, and and in my opinion, they're giving these drugs to them on purpose because to create the kind of society that these high-level government officials and their private banking cartel people want. Call it the New World Order, One World Government, blah, 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 call it whatever you want. They want to create this society that is totally controlled. Well, you can't control a society that feels free and safe and, and okay. You have to have a society that is on edge all the time. They never know where their next meal is coming from. They don't know if they go to the store, some guy's going to jump out of the woodwork and attack them. The government is creating this chaos, and just like they said, you know, they 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 will get this one world government out of chaos. They will get this new world out right. of it. And I think that's why they create these shooters. But I, I I think it's more than just antagonizing and scaring society. I think there are kind of what they would call on their side of the fence legitimate covert operations. It could be that they're assassinating people that are a threat to them using these nutcases. Right, right. You know, there could be some activists in these schools, like a teacher or a principal or even students, you know, who are advocating against, you know, for open government, things like that. I mean, I've got tons of news articles of college students and graduate students um, who have mysteriously died. They've been stabbed for no reason at all. They had no money on them. Money wasn't taken from them. But yet they're stabbed by some nut job that the cops can never find. And then you find out that these guys were advocating for open government, the elimination of nuclear weapons. They wanted, they wanted the CIA to release everything on, on Iraq and, and all this stuff. And a lot of these people who are into activism make themselves open targets. Jesus. So you're saying and I could watch my back. I surprised. You know, you get some – well, look at, look at Hastings, who was killed out there in California. Right, yeah. 
you really believe that was an auto accident? It's very suspicious. Now, somebody in the and chat the did ask. engine gets blown 100 feet away from the car. Those cars are designed to hold together, and the only way you could get an explosion in a newer car like that where the fuel system is completely sealed, and I got some experience with this because I spent the last year working on my 93 Trans Am that has pretty much the same computer system his does. And I can tell you, because I used to work on these cars in the 80s, they can control your car externally because we've done it. My friends and I have done it with a laptop. Yeah. If you can get into the CAN network, you can lock up the brakes. You can drain the brake fluid off through the ABS, anti-lock brake system. The, the way the anti-lock brake system works is by releasing brake pressure and returning the fluid to the reservoir. Well, you can actually open up that ABS so it actually will vent to the air. When you do that, you completely lose the brakes. They've got new cars that the computer can steer them. Nissan has got them, Toyota's got yeah, them, Cadillac has got them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were talking about this in the 80s while I was going to school for this, and we're like, oh, give me a break, a car that can talk to you and steer itself. Well, there they go. But I knew even in the 80s with the basic computers back then, they could shut your computer off. All they had to do was have your license plate number. From there, they get your VIN number, and they can go right in through what's called the CAN network. That's the network for automobiles. In fact, it's an Internet for automobile computers. When you look at your home computers and your laptop computers all connected to the Internet, they all make up this huge worldwide conglomeration of computers where everyone can talk to each other, put up websites, video chat, what we're doing right now. Cars also have the same thing. You can talk to cars. If you know the VIN number and you know the uh, the code for the CAN network, you can get in and talk to any car. Yeah. Weird. So what... So what people are alleging happened to Michael Hastings is 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 scientific fact. It's not fictional. Now somebody they can in... control the car. They can shut the brakes off or lock them up. Or because the cars do what's called drive-by wire. Anybody listening who's been in the military and has flown F-16s knows what fly-by wire is. The fly-by wire system, instead of having physical cables to operate throttles and brakes. Yeah. They have electronic sensors that take an electrical signal and adjust your throttle based on how much signal they're getting. That's called drive-by wire. In, in the days of jet fighters and stealth fighters, fly-by wire, the NSA, CIA, and the Pentagon can take control of a fighter jet if a pilot becomes unconscious and fly it to the nearest military base and land it. Now you know how they could have pulled off 911 because commercial jetliners have the same fly-by-wire system. Okay. And now, that's in the manual. That's, that's, that's not even classified. That's public. In Boeing's manuals, uh, Lockheed Martin, all their manuals talk about this fly-by-wire system. Now, somebody in the chat room asked earlier, and I think we discussed this originally. Uh, well, we discussed this on the 200th episode when you were on. And that was, uh, did, you know, you've talked about all these people that are sort of uh, – they're, I guess you could say they're researching this stuff. They're blowing the whistle on these things, and and you know how are you still around? How have you? I mean, you did disappear on us for like four years, but aside from that, or three years, but you know, well, how come they haven't tried to just take you out yet? Since you're, you know, the, the, the big guy behind uh, I, spreading the word about yeah, Palmer. because I don't think I've got to the core of it yet. I still think I'm on the peripheral uh, peripheral area. Otherwise, I probably would be dead. Uh, I think the one thing that I haven't really gotten to is the true motive. Um, 
I, I am beginning to think that doing these shootings just to uh, stop the guns yeah. is incidental. I think their motive is much deeper than that, much hmm. deeper. I think guns is just a, you know, it's just a add-on prize for them. Yeah. But I think the motive goes much deeper. And I think at the core of all these shootings is, one, they have specific targets they're trying to, to eliminate at these shootings. Those targets may be covertly political. They may be eyewitnesses to government criminal events. Uh, they could be a multitude of people. And I think there's a possibility that this is hardcore, as hard as you get, ritualistic, satanic, you know, abuse and and sacrifice. Right, right. That and you get the, down to the core of it. Yeah, that's what you told and us on the And the line. fact yeah. is, is that I can only surmise that. I can't prove that. And I think that's the reason I'm still alive. Now, if I get some burnout cop or politician who I can get on tape, you know, and says, yeah, we did it for this, this, and this, yeah, then you can bet they're going to be coming after me. And to a certain extent, they did. Right after I researched Columbine in 99 forward, they did screw around with me a little bit. I don't think they were intent on doing any harm. I think they just wanted to kind of uh, scare me a little bit and kind of, you know, get me a little bit frazzled. Yeah. Um, the crap that was going on then, the hang-up phone calls, the the guy that wanted me to come out to Vegas, I mean, that was that was so stupid. I can't believe he was really an undercover cop or federal agent. What was that? I mean, what, what happened there? Yeah, I never heard that. Yeah, that was uh, back in 2000, right before, uh, you know, before the whole 911 stuff. I got a call from a guy on my cell phone, and I was taking classes at Red Rock still in, in film. And this guy says, well, I heard you on, uh, on the radio about Columbine. He says, you got some good stuff there. But he says, I've got stuff that's even better he says, I, I can get you right inside the group that did this. He says, I can show you exactly what they were doing and how they did it and what their ultimate goal was. And I said, well, great. I said, uh, you probably don't want to talk over the phone. Why don't you come to Denver? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I, he said, I'm not coming to Denver. He says, no, you got to come out here. And I said, where? And he says, well, come out to Vegas. And I said, well, where do you want to meet, at a casino or whatever? And <laughs> yeah. he says, no. He says, when you get out here, we will meet you at McCarran. And he says, we have to go out in the desert where there's no listening devices or anything. Oh, Jesus. And I said, desert? And he said, yeah. And he says, I understood that, you know, you used to work out here back in the 80s. And I said, yeah, and it's pretty desolate. I said, you know, I'm not very comfortable with that. And he says, well, that's the only way I can talk. And I thought, if this guy's a high-level government op, you know, he can scan any room for bugs. Yeah. You know, what's the big deal about talking in a hotel room or even a casino? You know, I mean, the feds are so close to these casino owners, he could even get us a, a soundproof room in a casino for an hour or two. Right, right, exactly. You know, and and I'm thinking to myself, no, this ain't right. And a couple more times he called after that, and then he finally gave up. He never got threatening, though, or anything like that. Um, but we did have one guy that was getting crazy that was coming to our Friday night meetings. He was ATF, and I know because I called a friend of mine who's a Denver cop, and I said, I think this guy might be an undercover fed. I said, this guy's really giving us trouble. I said, can you be at this restaurant so if anything happens, i got a cop for a witness, you know, and he said, yeah, he said, I'll be patrolling that area that night. He says, I can stop in. It was at a Denny's. 
And he came in, and it was before my time to speak, and he says, you need to come outside with me. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm in trouble. I'm going to get arrested. And we go around the corner, and he says, here's the guy's vehicle. And his, you know, had the right door open, and he had the glove box open, and there was a 9mm and an ATF badge in there. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was an undercover ATF. He says, my advice to you is, don't let that guy get you into anything. He says, if he stands up and starts mouthing off, he says, just walk off. I said, you can't arrest him for anything? He says, no, he's working undercover. He's going to say that he was sent here to, you know, to see what you guys were doing, that you guys were probably crazy militia members or something. He says, there's nothing we can do to him. He says, unless he, you know, goes nuts and attacks somebody. But right, right. he says, other than that, he says, there's nothing we can do. But he says, yeah, he said, just stay away from that clown. You know, he says, he's nothing, just stay away from him. And then I think that guy got the hint because he couldn't engage me in an argument after that, so he finally gave up and quit coming. But um, Interesting. they were listening in on phone conversations. They, um, I remember when I was talking to a local radio talk show host up here in Johnstown, Colorado, he would call me, and when he would call me, it would come up, City of Brighton Police. Oh, and weird. I'm like, what the hell are the police calling me for? I'm not, you know, because they always associated this radio station in Johnstown with militia groups because they used to have militia guys on like Johnny Johnson and all those guys. Yeah. So I picked up the phone thing, and it was the cops, and it was him. And I go, Don, your number came up the police department. He says, Bill, it always does that every time I call a guest. He says, they, wherever, whatever jurisdiction they live in, the police always route the call through their place. He says they just want to make sure that we're not making plans to blow up stuff and things like that. He says that's all they're doing. He says they want to try and entrap us and say, uh, by saying something stupid. Right, right. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to say anything stupid. What do you think? I'm crazy, you know. I'm not Lee Harvey Oswald, and I'm sure as hell not Timothy McVeigh or any of those people. Exactly. You're just trying you to get know. the word out about this stuff. But it is hel- hilarious when they pull that, though, you know. Yeah, well, it's spooky. I mean, I just figure if the guy wanted to take you out to the desert, you you know, you wouldn't be coming yeah. back. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I just looked at that and I said, no way, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> you know, but there there were other things that didn't really affect me, but other people that I talked to, I talked to one lady named Susan, and and she was big into the New World Order and things like that. So I don't know how much of the books she read influenced her about Columbine. But I listened to her story anyways, and she told me she was in a restaurant a couple of days after Columbine with her kids talking to some other people about Columbine. And this guy in a black suit got up out of a booth and walked over and said, ma'am, I don't think that's an appropriate thing to be talking about with, you know, kids just having died. He says, you know, all these conspiracy theories and stuff, he says you just make people angry and make them sad and fearful. And she tried to be nice to him. You know, I apologize, but we would like to talk. We'll keep our voice down. Uh, A couple days after that, she got her free American magazine, which she gets, and she freaked out when she opened it up, read the article about a man who's connected over in Europe, and he's a big shot, Hans Kolvenbach. And she swears that that was the guy that was sitting in the restaurant that told her to shut up about talking about Columbine. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but after that, after that little restaurant incident, she continued talking about Columbine, and she did have some trouble. I was at her house, and Jefferson County cops would drive by and shine a spotlight in. I went out a couple of times, and as soon as they saw me walking out the door, they sped off. Hey, you don't mess with Zabel. Yeah, well, 
you know, the the fact about those cops is they're really scaredy cats. Yeah. Um, they know that they really screwed up at Columbine, and they don't want to confront anybody face-to-face, not researchers, not parents, not anybody. That's why all those cops waved off, you know, during the hearings. None of them would speak. Hmm. You know, they, they, they know. They know they know that they sit in their cars way out on the grass and would not even engage the suspects while the Denver PD and other police departments had to because they believed with what they did to Harrison Klebold during the van arrest that that attack was meant to draw the Jefferson County cops in and kill them all. Oh, God. And did you ever hear about that one? I've I've briefly heard about that. They were they were they weren't they like roughed up for breaking into a van or something? Uh yeah, they broke into a van and stole electronic equipment and this was in, in January um of ninety eight. And the story gets much deeper than getting the Rodney King treatment. Uh according to some parents who accused Jefferson County of this but then wouldn't go on the record with the media or anyone else, said that Harrison Klubold were actually sexually assaulted. Oh, God. Yeah. And there was a woman that I talked to who witnessed this, and I said, did you call the cops? And she goes, Bill, who am I going to call? They are the cops. And I said, you call the state patrol. They got an office right down the road from there. And she goes, I was too scared. I didn't know who was involved in it. And I said, are you sure that they had those two boys in the missionary position and they were performing sexual acts on them? And she goes, yes, and it was disgusting. And I thought, oh, God, now I know what the real secret is behind those two kids. They just didn't get the Rodney King treatment. They got it worse. Yeah. Uh, She disappeared, and we went over to her house. A couple of us did with a video camera. We were going to get her on tape. And her house was empty. We went next door to the neighbor, and the neighbor said, her and her husband moved. We don't know why. They've lived here for 20 years, and they suddenly upped and moved. And I said, did they give any forwarding address or phone number? And the lady and the guy said, no, nothing. They said it was really shocking. I said, did she ever tell you about witnessing any kind of police corruption involving a suspect or multiple suspects? I didn't want to tell them Columbine, because every time you mention Columbine, everybody goes white as a ghost over there and runs. Right. Uh, I just mentioned, did she ever talk about that kind of thing? No, never mentioned it to us. And... I never could find her after that. She she never uh, called me. You know, I, I've waited for years. I, I wish she would go on the record because um, even the senator from down there, the state senator, said that something worse must have happened at that van arrest than just get nightstick because he says those two boys were enraged beyond anything he has ever seen in his life. Yeah. And he wanted to know, and none of the Jeffco deputies would uh, speak on the record. And they still haven't to this day. And why the state of Colorado let them get away with that, I will never know. Well, you know, beyond all the conspiracy part of it all, it does sound just like that it was a lot of institutionalized corruption and trouble over there. Yeah. You know, that that led to a lot of uh, bizarre sort of uh, mindsets. Yep. Put it that way. Oh, yeah. Well, we're, 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 we still have quite a while here. we got about a half hour. We're on the... Uh, you know, we're on the eve of of the big anniversary here of 9/11. You know. Oh the, yeah. The, so, what's your take on on the whole 9/11 thing? Because you know, if, if Columbine was the ritual killing uh, scenario, I've heard it also put forward that 9/11 was you know was the grand ritual killing. That that 9/11 was sort of the ultimate you know mind you know mind mess 
with people. I, I, th- I think it was because something changed in this country after 911. It wasn't just the politics or the law enforcement or Homeland Security or the Patriot Act. People changed. People both in and out of government changed, and not for the better. People became very sullen. They became very angry, um, very mean. I saw a meanness takeover in America that I hadn't seen before that. And just the average middle-class Joe, it just you could tell something spiritually changed. I mean, I mean, if you believe in demons and angels and, and aliens and all that, and, and that there's another world where creatures look down on us and, you know, manipulate us or whatever, uh, something happened in that arena. Something very, very horrible happened. It wasn't, it wasn't just the attacks on 911. It was the, the way that they were done. Um, there were so many weird people in New York that day. You had Mossad there that had no reason to be there, Mossad agents. Um, you had a lot of these wild religious types there. Most people don't know, but a lot of your big pastors from these big uh, TV evangelical uh, shows on the on the radio and TV were there. I mean, to have all of these people in in a city where an attack like that happens, I can't help but think that it was, you know, it was the ultimate ritual sacrifice. I mean, think about it. You know, Satan got three thousand people that day. You know, how many Satanists can sacrifice that many people in their backyard? Yeah. So you... I, I really do think that this was the ultimate gift to a very dark power, and these people that did 911 believed that they were going to get power back for doing that, that they were going to get something in return. Weird. And if you go to Europe, this stuff is just ordinarily understood. Uh, in America, when you talk about Satanism and you talk about ritual sacrifice and dark powers and stuff, people go, ah, you watch too much TV, shut up. You know? <laughs> if you go to Europe and you go to Asia, and they know this stuff is real. They don't even debate it over there. Are you talking you know, about sort at, of this like ritual sacrifice and things of that nature, right? Yeah, well, they've, they've dealt with it for thousands of years on the European continent. None of it's new to them. So you think you we're know, like in the midst of, a, of an ultimate battle between good and evil, of, of uh, you know, God-fearing people and, and you know, devil worshippers or something? Well, and I, yeah, and I think in this case, I, you know, I, I don't think there were, you know, people would look at New York and say, well, you know, look at New York, you know, smart aleck people that don't like people from other cities, you know. Um you know, overall, I think the people were fairly innocent, but there were there were some people working in those towers that they were involved in some shenanigans. And then when Enron years later came out and, and WorldCom, you find out that these guys were floating the front money through these businesses in the World Trade Towers. And I can't help thinking that even though these dark powers did 911 to get power from this supernatural arena. I also think they were doing it for financial reasons. Um, I found out from a lawyer that there was an investigation between the Securities and Exchange Commission, the FBI, and a couple of other government agencies involving stock brokerage firms on Wall Street. Uh, the investigation involved in they were investigating Dick Cheney. They were investigating um, who else was that? Uh, the Bush family, they come up in every investigation, so that doesn't surprise anybody. 
there was a number of government people and and Wall Street tycoons that were being investigated, and the investigations were housed in both those towers. Yeah. And they had the investigators in one building, and they had the archives in the other building. Now, according to this lawyer, where the planes hit were exactly the floors where these investigations were housed. Uh, And furthermore, people ask about the Pentagon, and he told me that the side of the Pentagon that was hit was the side that was remodeled, and the area that got hit there was their communications hub so that the investigators could talk to the politicians and other people who were involved in this investigation because they had a Senate subcommittee that was getting ready to to go into hearings over all this. And the senators would pick up their uh, communications from the Pentagon through the secured complex in this secured room, and that's where the plane hit. And since then, I've met a couple of other lawyers who also knew about this investigation, too. Okay. Now, uh, our, our friend here, Chris Pinio, in the chat room, he, he asks a question that uh, relates to something I've heard in, in the past as well, and I'm sure you have since you've talked a lot about the in, in evangelical Christians. Uh, he posts a little question here, uh, which contains numerous misspellings, but I will do my best. He says, uh, there are supposedly, and he wants to stress that, supposedly, many in the Christian evangelical right who believe they can tip off Armageddon by prompting a clash with Islam and draw Israel into a major war. What do you think of that whole scenario? Because I've heard that too. That <laughs> He's right on the money. I right. talk to evangelicals who even talk about this openly. You come down here to Colorado Springs, and they call this the New Jerusalem. You go to Focus on the Family, you go to any of those churches down there, and they all just say the same thing. This is the New Jerusalem. They even have a sign if you're coming up from uh, New Mexico and you're coming up through Pueblo. As you come up to Colorado Springs, it'll say, Welcome to the New Jerusalem, and then it has a couple of church names on the bottom of it. Evangelicals believe that this is the new Israel, the United States, and that Colorado Springs is the new Jerusalem. And there's been books written about this. This isn't even conspiracy theory. Evangelicals write books saying that if we can get the Islamists to jump off sites first, then we can get them. They don't exactly say nuke them or anything like that. They just say, we can get them. Right, start a they, war they, and sort of, a, you know, if they can fulfill yeah, they, the, the book of Revelation on their own, then they can bring Jesus back, I guess, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's what Jesus Camp was about. Um, that's really what the whole Waco thing, you know, those guys down there, even though I don't think they deserve to get burned up, one of the things that they were pushing for <clears throat> was to reveal the secrets of Revelations by looking at these different codes in the book to see how long it was before Jesus came back, and there are are definitely these groups that think that way. They either are trying to find out when Jesus is coming back, or they're trying to set off a war to get him to come back early. Right, right, right. You know, and there's no doubt about that, that they're doing that. Mm. Scary stuff, dude. We're way, you know, this is all out of our hands. We're just sitting back watching, hoping we can survive, right? Yep. Oh, can I take a real quick break? Uh... Yeah, how long of a break? <laughs> About a minute. Sure, sure. Okay. All right, let me know when you're back. We are live, you know. Okay. <laughs> Bill has to use the restroom, I presume, so we're going to uh, talk a little bit while he's off uh, the air there, uh, tending to nature. Fascinating stuff. I knew Bill Zabel was going to be on fire 
when we got him on the program here. But I didn't know how insane this was going to be, and I, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, and I think folks are digging it as well. Fred Noob says he'll be back in about three years. That sounds about right based on our past with William Zabel. And uh, Chris Pinio says, the guy who told me that can recognize the difference between AK-47 fire and M-16 fire at a range. He was an experienced war reporter. So kind of scary stuff if you think about it. That there are people out there that are trying to uh, initiate Armageddon. It's uh, pretty spooky. And uh, Naughty Wood also says, real quick break, never hear from him again. So if <laughs> if we if we miss him, if he does not return... <laughs> soon, then we will, uh, I guess, presume him missing. So hopefully it will be in the not-too-distant future. While we wait for him, let me throw some plugs in. It's a good time to do some plugs. Banalofamerica.com is the website, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. Check it out. We get the complete archive of BOA episodes there. If you're on Facebook, find us there. Just punch in Banal of America and like us really racking up the likes since we passed 1,000. This program costs me money, folks. I'm talking to Bill Zabel in Colorado right now. I spliced him through my line and into the blog talk line, and you would not even believe how much blog talk costs me a month. So if you could help us out with that, that would be huge. Make a donation via PayPal or the P.O. Box, and you can find that information also at Banal of America. As we say at the end of the taped programs, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running and freely available for all of our great listeners and readers the world over. If you missed the big announcement at Banal of America on Facebook, the plan going forward here, we're going to do at least one more live show on 917, and that's going to be with our old friend Paul Kimball. And then following that would be 924. I don't have a guest locked in just yet, so stay tuned for more information on that. Then, hopefully on October 1st, that's the goal right now, we are going to kick off BOA Audio Season 8. And since I'm having so much fun with the live programs, and I've really been enjoying doing these shows for the last month or so, and it really helps to get the episodes out there. So I want to integrate it all into Season 8. So what you can expect in Season 8 is going to be sort of a mix of taped shows and live shows. And I enjoy the taped shows quite a bit also because it helps when you're going to get a guest on. Maybe if they're in England, it's really difficult to get them on at 9 o'clock at night here on the East Coast. It could be, it's like 4 in the morning or something over in England. So we're going to do the taped shows. We're going to do the live shows. I've already... <laughs> I am back. All right, there you go. Let me just finish up this plug and then we'll get we'll get cooking again. Uh, so we're going to have a mix of taped and live shows. So stay tuned to Banal of America on Facebook and BOA Proper for more information on that. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to have a ton of awesome guests. I've already locked in a slew of fascinating names in the world of Esoterica and beyond. And that's going to be BOA Audio Season 8, which will hopefully, as I said, kick off on October 1st. Welcome back, Bill. How how'd everything go there? We were afraid uh, it, it went good. Just All had right. to do a quickie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, we were afraid that the uh, as Vale says that the black ops were repelling into your house uh, at the moment. So it's good to see. Yeah, uh, they'd you know. have to deal with a mean bird first, and uh, he would take <laughs> care of business more likely. You get bit by him, believe me, you're running for the band aids. Yikes! What kind of bird is this? Oh, it's a big one. It's an Amazon. 
Interesting. He's a, he's a rare one. He's an imperial Amazon, and they're a little bit bigger than the regular Amazons. They're between – an imperial Amazon is between a regular Amazon and a macaw. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Now, somebody asked what's going on with the website, so tell us a little bit about what's going on there. You told me off the air, but uh, yeah. people want to know. What happened there is I get, became very frustrated because I would put up information, and I'd go back, and the website would be down, can't find server, and that happened over and over again, and the company said somebody hacked in. They got all of our dedicated servers and our hosting uh, hosting plans you know, I, I didn't have a dedicated server at that time. I just had their regular hosting plan where you have multiple plans on one server. Mm-hmm. And it happened so many times, and, they, and they, you know, they came up with excuses. And I said, guys, people want to see this stuff. And they couldn't come up with anything. So I said, that's it. I went to a dedicated server. Now I've got the dedicated server, but if I import the name from GoDaddy into the server, the problem is I can't use email with it because the name has to be bought through that company to be able to use email. Otherwise, you can't use email. So what I did is I I bought the name through this company called ColumbineConspiracy.net. So the only difference is the extension. Instead of com, it's .net. Okay. And it's all the same stuff, and you're not going to have it taken down. Is the, is the gist no, because, you know, I've, I've given DVDs of this information out to people, and I've never had anybody tell me that the information has been seized or, you know, taken from them in any way. So I, I think that the it's safe to, to put it up on the web. That's why it's all going to go up on that site. Um, one of the best things I have is an interview done by a man, Muriel Woodward, uh, who claims he was in jail with Eric Harris on April 18th. And this is two days before the Columbine shooting. And he said Harris kept walking around the pod, which is what they call cell blocks in Jefferson County as pods. Right. And he had a like a, a tattoo right below his wristband, you know, the wristband they put on inmates. And he says, look at this, man. He says, in two days, you're going to really know who I am. He says, yeah. And, you know, everybody's looking at him like, what are you going to do, you know, like, you know. And uh, he claims it was it was Eric Harris. He says, I saw his band. He says, I sit down, talk to him, and it said Eric David Harris on it. Why was he in and jail? That's what nobody knows, and that's what no one will tell me. I, I tried, I've tried for years to get people in Jeffco to tell me why he was in jail. And they said, well, we can't tell you. And I said, well, can't you just give me a yes or no? And they said, we can't say. And that's crazy. You know, that how come weird. nobody will say? And, I mean, you talk to their public relations people, and that's like talking to a brick wall over there. Hmm. You know, they'll refer you to somebody else, and then finally some detective will call me and say, well, why do you want to know if he was in jail on the 18th? What does it matter? And I'm like, I just want to verify a guy's story. That's all. Well, I, I can't confirm it. And I said, well, do you have the record in front of you? Can't you go over to the jail? You know, the jail's right across the road from the sheriff's department. You can walk right over there. And he says, I'm not going to get you that information. And I said, why? And he says, because I have no reason to release it to you. And I'm like, what? I mean, these guys are something else. Now, when I go to ColumbineConspiracy.net, it says this domain has just been registered for one of ours. So you haven't actually right. put anything up yet. Right. right? It's, not, it's not up, but it, it will start going up in the, in the morning. Um, I'm taking the day off tomorrow. You know, I usually do motion graphics and stuff, but... 
it's so quiet right now, I can take a weekday off and start putting it up. So Okay, okay. And someone wants to know how they would get these DVDs. they got to wait till the website gets back up and running and, and probably order one. No, um, you know, they can send me an email. Um, you can. Uh, do you have my email? Uh, I do. They can also find you on Facebook, right? Right. They can also find me on Facebook. And just say you want the DVD with the docs on it. There's, uh, It comes in a multi-DVD pack. You also get a small DVD with video on it. Okay. Um, and it has the video of the green minivan leaving the property. Um, it also has the Muriel Woodward interview. Um, I also have an interview by a man who was assaulted by the same Jefferson County deputies that arrested Harrison Klebold for the van incident, and they threatened to basically, well, show him a good time, basically. Yikes. Um, so that interview's on there. Um, those are MPEG-2 files, so Windows Media Player or QuickTime will play them, either one. And that's some of the things that are on there. There's some other video and audio on there. There's... Uh, a couple of girls talking about four guys shooting. Um, there is a girl who was injured and in a wheelchair and says that the man shooting at her uh, was dressed like either a firefighter or a cop. That's in there. I think we I think we addressed this last time, but do you think we're ever going to get to the bottom of all this, or is it just going to kind of always remain mysterious? Some things will remain. Um, you know, like I said, it's like the JFK assassination. We know now, 40 years, 50 years later, more than we ever did, you know, even back during the uh, assassination hearings. And I think as time goes by and some of the other suspects die off, the government will have no problem in releasing it because once the other suspects are dead, there's nobody to come back when the government releases it and says, hey, I was working for the government when I did that. They employed me to do it, you know. Right. When there's no kind of response like that, then they will feel safe in releasing more. Um, I always get more. Uh, it's usually bits and pieces, and it fills in a couple of blanks. But this was such a massive investigation involving hundreds of people, including kids who didn't even go to that school, that, you know, I I had trouble tracking a lot of people down because they simply up and left after the shooting, which told me that they were scared of something. And if you got two dead suspects in a school, you don't need to quit your job and have your children quit school and get in a car and drive off in the middle of the night. You right. don't do that for two dead suspects. Right, right, right. It was you all know, said and done. You do that because you're running from somebody. Now we got involved in that. We got about seven minutes left. Uh, somebody in the chat wants to know what your thoughts are on Iraq and, and foreign affairs. Uh, we kind of touched on the Syria thing earlier, but uh, you know, what, what, what's your take? Well, on I, can, that? I can tell you what Iraq is, and that's very simple to find out by going to Halliburton's website. Click on foreign operations and go into oil exploration and gas transfer. What these boneheads were doing, and this is why Dick Cheney is, is completely responsible for Iraq, was that they discovered huge amounts of natural gas in Afghanistan. They had gone to the Iranian government and said, there's no way to put this on a ship. What we would like to do is build a pipeline across northern Iran into Iraq and across to the Med. Can we make a deal? And the Iranians said, get lost, infidel, you're not touching our country. Yeah. And that was in 1992. They tried again in 1998. They said, no way. 
Then all of a sudden, after 2001, we invade Iraq in 2003. The intent was to take out Iraq. Then they needed to take out Syria, because guess what else they found in Syria right off the coast? Natural gas. And Europe, Western Europe, and this is all public. You can Google this. You can go anywhere. The intent was to build a gas line from Afghanistan, transfer gas line, all the way across Iran, through Iraq, through Syria, to the port of Tartus. Do you know why Tartus? Even though that's a Russian military outpost in Syria, it has pumping stations to pump diesel, natural gas, and crude oil. Okay, so it was all just an affair to get the their hands on these natural resources. Yes. Okay, that's, that's what I've heard before, and it makes the most sense. Yeah. So. Well, I mean... The love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> and these guys love money more than anything else. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, we, I think we, again, I think we've talked about this, but I want to catch up on, on this. Uh, the, you're putting the, 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 the meat of the book on the website. That's in the works. What about a hard copy, you know, um, you know, paper and, and whatever else books are made of, paper and paste uh, that, <laughs> version? Well, well, Everything but the last chapter is done, and the reason I got stalled on the last chapter is when all of these drills came up, because I, I never thought about Columbine starting out as a drill, and it wasn't until after, you know, these other shootings happened and they started admitting, oh, well, we were doing drills on 911, we were simulating airplanes being hijacked. And I kept going back over and over, and then Sandy Hook, the Aurora Theater shooting, and then Boston, and then the rumors of drills being done. And I thought, were these morons running a drill at Columbine and somebody introduced live suspects? So this last chapter is going to deal with that. And the reason that it's starting out as a drill makes sense is because the uh, superintendent of schools over there admitted that they had been doing drills over the past couple of months at Columbine simulating school shootings. Okay. And I never thought of it. I never put it together. My whole thought was, well, you know, maybe the government was softening up the kids doing drills to do the shooting, but I'm never going to be able to convince anybody of that, so I will just go with what the cops and the students and the parents said as well as the documents and leave it at that. But now that I've seen more evidence of drills going on around the country and more and more of this coming out, I'm going to put that chapter at the end, and it's going to be a big question mark. Did yeah. Columbine and many of these other events start out as drills and then somebody introduced a live suspect? Interesting. All right. Okay. Yeah, that seems to be kind of where, you're, where this has all taken you in the last few years. So yeah. it seems natural that that would be the direction of it all. Yeah. Um. I lost my train of thought here on what I was going to ask you here as we get to the end. But uh, people should check out ColumbineConspiracy.net, of course. That's where uh, they can find this stuff in the near future. You know, It's not up there right now, but hopefully in the next uh, few days you'll start putting some of that stuff up. And I remember having looked at it. It's pretty compelling stuff. So, I mean, you've done your homework. And oh, the, the question I wanted to ask you, it's, uh, we're really way too late uh, running out of time here, but you... you as the English lady just told me, 90 seconds. But you, <laughs> I take it you don't really, uh, you're not hanging around at the Denny's anymore or you're not really doing much, you know, uh, I guess like sort of these public meetings and that kind of thing anymore. You've kind of quieted down no, a little bit. No, because it, it attracts too many nutballs. Okay, yeah. Um, you get guys that come in, 
that say, hey, come on, I got some guns and explosives in my car, let's go, you know, Jesus. and it's like, get out of here, go, you know. Yeah. You, don't you know, you get the real nut people. jobs in there, and I just say no. I, you know, I mean, we, we do meet occasionally at a friend's house. Um, he's a facilitator for Bible studies, but he does a lot of talk on the New World Order, and it's always just a small group of people, 10 or 20, that we both know that we can trust, that we tell this stuff to, and then we ask them to take the information and go out and give it to other people. There you go, kind of like what we're doing here on the show. Well, we're at the last 30 seconds, folks. Let me throw the plugs in one last time. Banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. PayPal and P.O. Box. Make donations if you can. Really need your help. Paul Kimball on the next show, Tuesday, September 17th at 9 p.m. Bill, I can't thank you enough. This has been just an amazing conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I cannot believe we've just done two hours and it's gone by so fast. Well, I know. <laughs> so thank you, and we definitely we'll be talking in the future, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. Be safe out there, pal. All right.